We're excited that you're joining us online today. At Calvary, we are connecting people to Christ and to community. We hope you're inspired by today's message. We are starting a brand new series of messages this morning, uh, simply called How to Study the Bible. And so I want to start with a story here. There's a story about a, the, he was the, the king of Grenada, and uh, his empire was kind of taken over, and he was, he was put in prison, and he was granted one request, so he asked that he could have a Bible. So for years, he was in prison, and he was reading the Bible. And eventually he died, actually, in that prison, and they found that in his, in his cell, on the walls, was written all kinds of Bible trivia. So, like, on the walls was written, like, Psalm 118, verse 8 is the middle verse of the Bible. And if he, or sorry, Esther, like, 8, verse 9 is the longest verse in the Bible. And just sort of random Bible trivia, stuff like that. But the, it was said of this king that he knew a book that never changed him. That those who were the guards said that the book never seemed to take root in his life. That although he knew a lot about it, it didn't seem to change his life. It didn't seem to make much of a difference. They didn't see any difference in his behavior, in the way that he acted. And so Rick Warren said that never before in history has the Bible been more available to the Western world Yet never before has there been such a famine of God's word. And one of the keys to this whole series is this quote right here by D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody said, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. Okay? So the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, although it does that. But it was given to change our lives. The ultimate purpose of the giving of scriptures to us is to change our lives, is to transform us. And so... um, one of the reasons why we're talking about this topic is um, I was watching this podcast and uh, they talked about how the, the phrase um, Bible study how-to is searched on YouTube over 500,000 times every month in the States. And on Google, over 60,000 times every month in the States, someone is, is Googling, you know, the study of the Bible, how to. How do we do it? How do we study the Bible? And so from the outset of the series, I want to say to you that we're going to do some how-tos. We're going to talk about, you know, how you might do that. Every week, we're actually going to look at a different method. For six weeks, we're going to look at a different method that you could take, and you could use that to study the Bible. And the hope is, the plan is, that we're going to kind of explain that method by actually doing it. So we're going to preach a message having used that method. Like, hey, all week I used that method on this passage of Scripture, and this is what came out of it, right? And just the hopes I'm encouraging people to try and do those same things. But from the very outset, I want to say that the Bible was given not to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. And we believe that, that every person here, that there's a, there'd be a spectrum of people here. There'd be people who you're like, oh, this is going to be good for me because I've never read the Bible before. And then there'd be people who have like degrees in theology. And, you know, like, but across that spectrum, wherever we find ourselves, the Bible was given not just to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. It's about being a doer of the word. It's about application. It's about applying it to our lives and being changed by the words of Scripture. There was a study that was done in 2014, a Canadian study, and um, they said that one in seven Christians read the Bible once a week or more. So 14% of people that call them a Christian read the Bible once a week or more. 
But what I found really interesting about the study was they said that people that have confidence in the scripture, have conversation about the scripture, and who are in community are the most likely to engage with scripture. The most likely to, to live it out, most likely to engage with scripture are people that have confidence in the scripture, that it, it's God-breathed, it's God-given, and that there's conversation about it, and there's community. So, I mean, like, man, that's a big advertisement for jumping into a small group, right? Because there's conversation, there's community around Scripture, and there's the hope that there would be some, even some confidence in the Scriptures that would come from that. That's a big advertisement for showing up to adult Sunday school at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning because there's conversation about Scripture, there's community around it, right? That those are the people that are the most likely to engage in Scripture and be a part of it is those who have a confidence in it, who have conversation about it, who are involved in community around Scripture. And so I, I kind of throw that out to you this morning so you can ask yourself the question, like, am I, do I have confidence in the Scriptures? And you don't, you don't have to right now have that. Maybe you're saying, no, I don't. But we, you know, we can study, we can look into that, we can try to find out if there's a way for us to have more confidence in the Scriptures. Do I have conversation? Like, do I ever talk to people about the Bible? Even just like, Friends who I know are Christians, not necessarily telling others about Jesus, but do I have conversations about Scripture? Is there a community of people that I'm a part of that, you know, help me grow and help me walk in the Scriptures? It's important stuff for us to look into and to ask. So as a church, we have a core value. You can see them in the lobby as you go down that kind of wheelchair ramp. They're on the wall there. Core values that we have as a church, and we wrote them um, I don't know, a number of years ago, 12 years ago or something, maybe a few more than that. And um, one of them is the Holy Bible. And I remember when we wrote those core values that we even had some discussion about whether we include the Holy Bible in the core values because it was like a given, right? We weren't saying we shouldn't. We were just saying, like, do we need to put that on the wall because isn't that, like, isn't, doesn't everybody know that? So a dozen years later... I'm glad we put that on the wall. Like, and, and more than that, that we are, we're clear about it, that we put it on our hearts. And so this is the core value that's written on the wall. We believe that the teaching of the Bible, the teachings of the Bible are the way to significant life change. This means that we desire continuous spiritual growth through the careful study and teaching of God's word. So I just love that because, like I said, it's not about us only gaining knowledge, although that happens. It's actually about significant life change. And we believe that the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the scripture, are the way to significant life change. If we ever want to really change, if we ever want to be more like Jesus, it happens through the scriptures. And so the Bible is made up of 66 books. It was written over a course of 1,500 years by at least 40 authors. And yet, it tells this one big story, this story of redemption, this rescue plan of God to come and save and rescue us. And then it culminates with Jesus, and then we get the church and, and the teachings of the church and how this, this word and this story is going to continue to grow. It's powerful even to think about God like kind of protecting and standing over the, the putting together of scriptures and the, the writing of it. It's, it's God-breathed. It's God-inspired. So let's pray. At the outset of the series, we want to pray that, um, that the scriptures are going to take root in us, that our hearts are going to be, like Jesus told this parable about the different conditions of people's hearts, the different conditions of soil, one of them being good soil, that the seed of the word of God could take root in that soil, that it could grow and it could produce fruit. And so that's what we're praying even over these next six weeks, that, and obviously beyond that, but that the scriptures 
would take root in us, that it would grow and it would produce fruit. Let's pray. Lord, we want to not just study the Bible or study your word just like a book, but we want to inwardly digest it. We want to be changed by it. We're asking God today that you would make it a part of our community, make it a part of us individually. Let your word dwell in us richly. God, we're praying that it would give us wisdom so that we could guide our own lives, we could guide our loved ones. We're asking that you would do this for Jesus, who was the word who became flesh. Do that in our lives. Help us know Jesus. Help us know your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever, have you ever just felt that your understanding of God's word was a bit shallow or that you wished that it had a deeper impact in your life? I know I do, and like not just have someday, but continue to feel like that, that sometimes my understanding is shallow. I'm currently reading a couple of books through this series. There's a book by Rick Warren that's, um, that is really helping us guide this whole series. It's uh, 12 Methods of Studying the Bible. But there, and there's another book called The Havram, which I'll share a couple of things next week from that book. But they just they talked about a couple of passages that I'm very familiar with, and then they give some context and some history, and I'm like, man... That like opens, like, I didn't even know that that meant that. And uh, it's amazing, right, that when we get some depth and we get some, um, some, some of that knowledge helps us, our lives be changed by the scripture. But the purpose of it is that our lives would be changed. The ultimate goal of Bible study is application. It's to be a doer. It's not just interpretation. We interpret it so that we can apply it and so that it can change our lives so that we can go forward from there. And application and being a doer of the word is really the foundation of this first method we're going to talk about. Today we're going to talk about the devotional method on how you would study the Bible. Just simply devotionally, how would you, you, how would you do that? And so we're going to give you kind of four steps that you can do. If you are one of the people who like to take notes out of the, the bulletin notes in, in, uh, in the bulletin there, there, what we did this week was we gave you something you can take home and you could do this. So you could do it this morning if you want while we talk about this passage from Judges 6, and you could fill it in as you go, or you can take it, and this week you can pick another passage. You could go to Romans 12, 1 and 2, and you could do these four steps, kind of devotionally. You could go to Luke chapter 12, you could read it, and you could devotionally go through and ask yourselves these questions. And so I really encourage you, if you're, like there's, again, we're talking about application, we're talking about doing something, right? We're talking about not just being a hearer, but a doer. And so one of the things that you could do is you could take this piece of paper, and it'll help you do this method of Bible study this week. And at the end of this method, the idea is that we apply it to our lives, that we ask God what, we, what he would have us do. And so that's the devotional method, is we read a passage of scripture, whether it's small or large, and we pray, we meditate on it, we think about it, we read it some more, and we ask Holy Spirit to lead us to a way that we could apply it to our lives. How could we apply this passage, this scripture to our lives. We want to be a doer of the word. And one of the, I want to give you a couple of reasons why I think it's hard to apply the scriptures to our lives. Okay? Application is hard work. And so it's not even something, I'm not saying like, hey, this is easy. Why haven't we done it more? It, it's, application is hard work. Because sometimes when you read a passage of scripture, it doesn't become super clear and obvious to you right off the bat that like, oh, this is what I need to do because I read this. It's not always clear, right? Sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. So it's not always clear. Secondly, I think that why application is hard is because 
Satan, who is our enemy, if we just know stuff, we are really no threat to his plan. But as soon as we start to change our lives, as soon as we start to apply what the scriptures are teaching us, as soon as we start to follow in the way that the Holy Spirit is leading us, that changes. And he fights hard against that. So I think sometimes that there's like, there's really no battle against showing up and listening or, or even just reading the scriptures. But when we're doing something, when we're applying it, when, we're, when we begin to do what it is that God asks us to do, there becomes tension. There beca- there, there's, he, I believe our enemy fights against that as he sees us applying to our lives and making change. And then the other thing is that we just generally as people not all of us, but generally as people, we often resist change. Even when we say, no, I love change. I like variety. I want it to be different. Then things start to change that we didn't choose the way in which we want them to change. And all of a sudden, it's like, I don't love this change thing so much, right? I liked it better when I was comfortable and when things were working out the way I wanted to. But when we start to read the scriptures and it asks us to give 10% of our income or when it asks us to tell other people about Jesus and we're thinking like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Like, that sounds embarrassing. That sounds scary or whatever, right? Like, we we just naturally resist change, right? So application is hard work. And actually accomplishing it, doing it, it doesn't just come naturally to us, right? We're, if we just did what comes naturally, then we're going to just listen, right? We're going to read, and we're going to daydream while we read it. We're going to get to the end of the chapter, and if someone asks us about it, we'd be like, oh, man, I remember the first few verses, and then I was thinking about the Super Bowl. And uh, so, I don't know, from there, right? I guess I'm the only one. But uh, it happens. So... Many, one of the things I want to see, again, I go back to that idea of a spectrum. So some of you are here and you've really never read scripture very much. And so you're, it, it's a great place to be. Start. Pray before you read. Start reading in the book of John. And then just read and ask the Holy Spirit. Ask him to help you. How would you apply it to your life? Some of us have so much knowledge of the scripture that we have yet to pray into or obey into our lives, right? We haven't yet prayed it into our lives or obeyed it into our lives. And so, and I put myself in that category, right? I'm not talking at you. I'm saying there are, some of us, there are stacks of biblical knowledge, but we need to pray or obey those things into our lives. Like we need to, this week, we maybe don't even need to pull this thing out and grab another passage of scripture. We just need to, you know, tap into one of these things that we already know and say, how, I'm go- how am I going to apply it? How am I going to do that in my life this week? How, today, how am I going to do that thing? How is my life going to be different? Because of the privilege that we have. Like, that's a privilege to have this, these stacks of knowledge, right? But we also don't want to be like this king of Grenada who just happens to know what the middle verse of Scripture is or happens to know that apparently there's no word or name that has more than six syllables in the Scripture. I have no idea if that's true, but that's what it said. And, uh, you know, like, why, why would we want to only know a bunch of facts or figures or trivia? But the point of Bible study, the point of, of interpretation, the point of understanding what it means is to apply it to our lives so that we change, so that we do it. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to Judges chapter 6. We're going to read about a guy named Gideon. We're going to read kind of verses 5 to 16. And just to give you a little bit of, of context, a little bit of background in the story. So the 
the Midianites have come and they've conquered Israel. And for seven years, the Midianites, we'll read it, but it says that they came in just like a swarm. And when the crops were ready to harvest, the Midianites would come in and they would just steal everything that the Israelites had grown. And and they would actually leave them, like they would stay there until everything was gone. And then they'd move on and they'd leave the Israelites starving. And for seven years, they've done this. And they were, they were in, they were, um, they were controlling the Israelites. Seven years, taking everything that they have. And this is kind of where we pick up the story. So Judges chapter five, and uh, or Judges chapter six, we'll start at verse five. It says, "These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count." And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all, the, all that oppressed you. I drove your enemies out and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came, sat beneath the great tree at, Oprah, at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the son of the clan of Abiazar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. All right, so it's the story of Gideon. Some of you know this story. Some of you have taught this on flannel graphs to many children in Sunday school. And uh, the story goes on, and we'll talk about that as, as we go. But um, the, the way this kind of Bible study method works is we pray, then we meditate. So step one is we pray. So we ask God to help us understand and apply the scripture that we're studying. And, and we ask God to show a specific way that he wants us to do that, a specific way he wants us to apply the scripture. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but before you go to read, like, you know, if you read every day or if you read a devotional or however you do that or if you read randomly whenever you decide to pick it up, but before you do that, if we said, God, I'm about to read the words that I believe you gave to us, right? Like, we're about to read the scriptures, the God-given words, and before I do that, God, would you show me something? Would you help me apply the scripture? How would you specifically have me apply this today? Is there a specific way? Because we know he wants us to do two things, right? God wants us to obey his word. He wants us to share it with others. And so we're saying, is there a specific way that I can do that? God, is there a specific way that I can obey your word? Is there a specific way that I might share this 
with somebody else. So we pray. Then secondly, we meditate. So again, I just referenced that kind of that um, handout in your bulletin. Because in the meditate section, there's, these, there's this list of awesome questions. And again, I got this from the, the, that particular from Rick Warren's book on, how to, on Bible study methods. But uh, there's these awesome questions that you could, because you might think, how do you get more out of it than just reading it, right? So you read it. And it, if you ask yourself some of these questions, so we're going to do that this morning with this passage. We're not going to do them all, but we're going to ask some of these questions. So first one, is there an example to follow? Okay, so you read this story. We didn't even read the whole thing, but we read this section of the story, and we say, is there an example to follow? So I just bring your attention then to verse 6. It says, so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So is there an example to follow? The example is not always positive, right? Sometimes it's a negative example that we want to avoid. And in this case, it says that the Israelites waited until they were reduced to nothing. There was starvation and they had no other way. They'd already tried everything. They knew what to do. They tried it all. They worked as hard as they could. They tried to hide. And earlier in the passage, it talks about they had caves dug out and they were hiding and they were trying everything they could. And then they were reduced to starvation and then they cried to the Lord for help. How many times have I tried everything I know to do and then cried to the Lord for help? How many times have I done that? Like tons of times, right? Even though Israel was doing it way back in the time of the judges and we could learn from them not to wait until we're starving, but to cry out to the Lord. So, you know, already many of us in the room could have an application for this week. This could already be our application. We would say, you know what, this week, the first thing I do, I'm going to have a, uh, my phone maybe wakes me up, and I'm going to name that alarm, pray for the day or whatever. And when it wakes me up, I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to say, God, give me wisdom on how to, do, how to go about this day. I know you'll be with me. Lead, guide me. I give this day to you, whatever, right? Like we are just, but we're going to start our day with prayer. Or the next time we run into an obstacle, the, we're, the idea is, the goal is, that we're going to pray before we try every other thing that we can think of. And maybe we're just saying, God, of these three things that I think I should do right now, which one should I do? Which way should I go? God, give me wisdom. Is, is there another way? Because I've often found that the way that God leads is we've said, well, there's an obstacle, there's a problem, and I need a solution, and I know it's got to be A, B, or C. And then you try all those things, none of them work, and all of a sudden God had option D that we never considered, right? And it's not that we couldn't, it's not that he, you know, he could have given us option D from the beginning. He could have said from the start that, you know, forget those ones and let's do this, right? And the Israelites waited until they were reduced to nothing in starvation. Then they cried out for help. Is there an example to follow? In this case, maybe there's an example to avoid, and we make our first call to Jesus. Is there something to be thankful for? Okay? So is there something to be thankful for? Verse 11 says, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So I love this because our introduction to Gideon this is the first time we hear about Gideon in the scriptures. And many of you have thought of this before, but this is our introduction to Gideon. He's hiding 
in a wine press with the little bit of wheat that he has left, trying to make some bread for his family, afraid of the Midianites. This is how we get introduced to Gideon. This is not how I want people to tell my story, right? <laughs> like, he was so afraid, and he was like a big loser, and, and you know, like, but he's hiding out. But then the angel sees him and says, you mighty hero. You mighty hero. And so is there something to be thankful for? I think what we could be thankful for is that God uses the most unexpected people. That this is actually a principle throughout Scripture. This isn't just one thing that happened with Gideon. But we see over and over and over again that God uses unexpected people. So when we feel like we're hiding out, when we feel like we're less, like listen to Gideon's words after he says to him, you mighty hero. Then he says, he says no, no, no. I am of the least tribe. I'm of the least clan of my tribe. And I am the last in my family. Like, man, that's like, who wants to feel like that? But this is the way he describes himself to an angel who just said, you're a mighty hero. And he's like, no, like, I am the worst in my family. I'm of the, I'm of the least clan in the tribe of Manasseh. And of that clan and in my family, I'm the last. I'm the most unexpected person that anyone would, no one is expecting me to come out and to lead the way and to free Israel. Like nobody. Because I'm the least, I'm the last. And we've all felt like the least and the last. We've all been, you know, whatever, back, you think back to gym class and you're standing on the wall hoping you don't get picked last. Like, please don't pick me last, right? And then, you know, whatever, everybody got picked last at some point. And it's, and some of you are like, no, I didn't. I'm a super athlete. But anyways, um, but we, we felt that way some other way then. We were, you know, we felt like that in calculus or whatever, you know, like we, we felt that way somewhere else. We've all felt like the least and the last. But what's amazing is God uses, that's just happened. It just turns out that that's the kind of person that God uses, that God goes looking for unexpected people and he gets glory and worship out of doing it because it's unexpected. It comes from nowhere. He happens to use those kinds of people. So is there a truth to believe along the same lines, along the same theme, but God can show us his strength best in our weakness, right? This, this just keeps coming out in that story, that God can show us his strength best in our weakness. There's a New Testament verse that says that, with, that it's, it's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. It's right in the midst of our weakness that God makes his strength perfect, and so Gideon being least and last was part of the plan. He's using the most unexpected people and he's making his strength known within our weakness. And God's power is the answer for our inadequacies. Like, I, was think, I don't think I had thought about it this way before, that I've all, often thought about that, that God's strength is made perfect in, his, in our weakness. But his power is actually the answer to our insecurities, to our inadequacies, to where we come up short. Like his power is the answer to that. He fills that all in, right? He fills in the gaps with his power. And maybe that's why he uses the most unexpected people because there's the most gap, right? Like there's the most emptiness. He comes to broken people because he can fill it up the most, right? Like we're not full of ourselves. We're not full of our own pride. Like even, you know, even I've been talking about knowledge, about how scripture is not just for the sake of knowledge, because Proverbs says that knowledge puffs up. 
right? And it's not a bad, like, I'm not saying all knowledge is a bad thing, but if we're not careful, then even in studying scripture, we puff ourselves up and we fill ourselves with ourselves. But God comes to those who are weak and even to those who know it, to those who are unexpected, to those who would say, no, like in my clan, our clan's the smallest and of our whole tribe and I'm the least I'm the least and the last. And he comes and he fills in the gaps with the power of God. His power actually is the answer for our insecurities. And I heard, I heard Pastor John Gray say this week that insecurity is the enemy of the anointed. And I was studying for this, this message and I thought, I don't know. Like, I almost feel like Gideon's saying the opposite of that. But I think, I think where it comes in is, what, what has to change is that Gideon, the, the story is really interesting because then Gideon comes and he offers this, this worship and then he says like, I need a sign. And so God does this sign and then he's like, okay, that sign was good, but can we do it this way this time? Like we'll do the opposite sign so that I can be sure, sure that you're God. And if we never get our eyes off ourselves, then we'll never see God's power, right? We'll never see his strength. We'll never see his provision. We'll miss it. We'll miss it, right? Because our eyes are on ourselves. If, and so yes, he uses the unexpected. And yes, he uses that and he fills in our insecurities. But only if we can get our eyes off of ourselves, right? Only if we can look up and we can see God. If we're going to always, if we're going to constantly be focused on ourselves, like there's a definition of humility. I think it's C.S. Lewis who says that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So like you think of yourself less often. And in that same way, if we could get our eyes off of ourselves, is there a truth to believe here? The truth is that God is good, that he's a great and awesome God, that his power fills in our weaknesses, that he makes his strength known. His, his power is made perfect within our weakness. And we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto that God. Onto that God who is good, who's loving, who's generous, who's poured out his life, who just so happens to pick people like us who feel like the least and the last to do amazing things. So we get our eyes off of ourselves. Otherwise, we'll miss it. Okay, another question. Is there a sin to confess or an attitude to change? Right, what a great question as you read the scriptures. Is there a sin to confess in me? Is there an attitude to change? And I just think, I think in this passage, the one that comes to me as I'm reading and thinking about it is like, Lord, forgive me for not being willing to be used by you. Like, forgive me for not stepping up and, and, and seeing, like, and acknowledging that, God, you're good and that you're powerful. Forgive me for not being used by you. Forgive me, like, for, like again, Gideon, Gideon, like, Gideon's awesome, and eventually he does do exactly what God asked him to do, but he needs all this assurance uh, ahead of time, right? And so God, forgive me for not, forgive, forgive me for needing like 17 signs that I'm supposed to tell someone about Jesus, because we already know that it's true, right? Like, forgive me for needing, like, you know, there's, there's whatever, there's somebody who needs $20, and we've got more than enough, and we look for confirmation about whether we're supposed to give them the $20, like, just Give them the $20, you know? Like, let's, let's just obey. Let's be doers of God's word. Let's, as we obey and as we do it, let's figure out how God is leading us. But forgive us. Help me remember that trusting myself will end up in failure, but relying on your strength will bring me victory, right? 
I love that statement. Help me remember that trusting myself will end up in failure, but relying on God's strength will bring me victory. We're saying today, like we're saying, use my weakness. Use my weakness. Bring glory to yourself, God, in my weakness. And that, you know, like, so we're saying, we're meditating, and we're asking ourselves, what's the application, God? What do you want to do? And so we're saying, Lord, forgive me, you know, like, if there's, if there's an unwillingness in my life. And then we're saying, you know, like, God, what's the specific way that you want to, like, that we move on to application. God, what's the specific way you want to use the scripture in my life? How do you want to use me? And so then we just start saying yes, right? Again, like, I'm not saying we say yes to everything and it's unhealthy and we're totally unbalanced and now we're into 37 things and we have no time for anything. But, but we, if, if, if saying yes to everything is your issue, then your application is different, right? If saying no to everything is your, your default, then your application is different, right? So, so I don't want to, you know, I, because some, some of you, you're, you probably say yes to everything, right? And so that's, that's a different application. There's a different thing that you can learn from this, this same passage, right? But those of us who lean towards saying, like, saying no or saying I'm the least and the last and, and, and I wouldn't, how could God use me? How could I make a difference? There's so much weakness. There's so much brokenness. What if we said yes? What if we said yes to that thing? What if we just, you know, found a leader today and said, you know, I, I've been thinking I should serve in kids' ministry. And, you know, so there's a serve card in front of you. It's a gray card. You could fill it out. You could hand it in at the welcome table out there. And we could, you know, you could say, like, I want to serve in kids. I want to serve in youth. I want to serve in media. I want to whatever, right? Like, I've been thinking I should do this, but I've been hesitating. And so there's an opportunity to, uh, to make an application even today. There's an ap- opportunity to respond even today. But what we need to do is we need to like define it, right? So we're saying do it. But for you today, what's the it? How would, what would be the application from the scriptures that we read today? What would be the action step? What would be the thing that you could do from the story of Gideon? You could go home today and you could read the whole thing, right? There's a lot more to it. It's really, like I said, it's a very interesting story. You could go home, you could read the rest of it, and you could ask, God, what's the application for me? What do I learn from this? What knowledge do I gain? But how do I apply that? How do I be a doer of the word? What's the thing that I do? Some of you, it's like you've been, you, you should have asked for help in your marriage a long time ago, but you didn't. And and now you're like, well, we can't ask now. Like, it's like now, like, it's too late. It, no, it's not. Like, no, it's not. Like, ask for help. Find somebody. And believe God for a miracle. Come to XO Conference. You know, like, start somewhere. Make an application. Do something. There's, you know, we, we want to respond to the word of God. We want to be doers of the word and not just hearers. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And, uh, but I, yeah, I want you to define what that is, define what that application would be. And again, I said, we said earlier, the application is hard work and it is, it's hard work. You gotta, you gotta take the time to figure out what it is in there. You need to ask some of those questions in the meditating time and find out what really stands out to you. That's the thing for me. Cause for some of us, we said it earlier, but for some of us, it's not waiting till the last minute to pray. It's not waiting until we've tried every other thing, but this week, we're going to pray first. This week, we're going to pray first, and that's going to be our application. Pray first. You're going to walk away today, and you're going to forget all, everything I said, except for that I said pray first. And then you're going to say, that's my application. I'm going to pray first. And then the fourth thing we do in this method is we memorize something, right? So you take something from the scripture and you memorize. It could be small. It could be a, like a principle. Or it could be memorizing a, a verse from it. And so for me, verse 16, the, God says to Gideon, I will be with you. And you will defeat the Midianites like you're fighting one man. 
I will be with you. And that thing that you're looking at right now that you think is too big for you to accomplish, that thing that you think everybody else doesn't think you could ever do because they they know who you are, so you could never do that, that thing, you're going to do it like you're fighting one man. And if you go on to read the story, you'll find out that there's an army that forms. And then God says, you've got too many men. And he shrinks them down. And then he says, you still have too many men. And Gideon's like, they have way more than us. They did in the beginning. when Before you pared us down, they already had way more. And then he pairs them down to 300 soldiers. And those 300 soldiers go up against thousands, tens of thousands of soldiers. They go up against an army. And they defeat them like they're fighting one man. They win win this battle without even barely having to fight because God fights on their behalf. And in your life this morning, I know there's people here today and you need need God to fight on your behalf. Like there's something in your life. And it's like, I can't do that thing. But God says, I'll be with you. And you'll defeat that army like you're fighting against one man. It'll be like it's 300 to one. Right in the end, in the end, they only have 300, but it's like it's 300 to one. They defeat them easily without even having to fight because God fights on their behalf. And so it looked like the odds were against them, but actually in the end, the odds were in their favor. It was 300 to one. And in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, in your relationships, in your sickness, in your body, it's 300 to one. The odds are in your favor. God's on your side. He's with you. He's with you, and you're going to defeat that thing like you're fighting one man. And so the question is kind of, for this morning, the question is sort of like, what are we going to do with that then? If that's true, the scriptures were given to change your life, what are we going to do with it? So my hope is that we'll read it, we'll understand it, we'll apply it to our lives. Just, you know, like it's not like rocket science or anything, but my prayer as a church, as a community, that we'll read it, we'll work to understand it, we'll apply it to our lives. Amen? Amen. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check us out online at calvarydunville.ca and like us on Facebook for quick updates about what's happening here at Calvary.